You are listening to the Mimi B Podcast, a lifestyle podcast that is designed to help you transform your life and become the best version of yourself possible. On this podcast, we talk about health, personal growth, career, and pretty much everything else it takes to become the best you there is. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard. I own the online magazine, Mimi B, and I create courses on how you can upgrade your life to the next level. Every single one of us has the ability to produce extraordinary results in our lives, and this podcast is going to help you get there. Hey guys, today I'm here with Louisa Nicola. She's a mental performance coach. She's the founder of NeuroAthletics, and she's the host of the Neuro Experience podcast, which I listened to, and that's why I had to reach out to Louisa to get onto this podcast, because she is a hub full of knowledge. Welcome, Louisa. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Mimi. I'm very good. I'm very good. And look, you got, um, you've gotten extra points for being able to pronounce my last name correctly. A lot of people say Nicola, and it drives me insane. So you did it very nicely. Oh my God, I passed the test. Really? That's so weird. Nicola, I feel like, oh, maybe it's because I listened to your podcast and subconsciously you talking, like you doing the intro or whatever has like gotten into my head. That's what I think. But um, no, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and thanks for having me on. Amazing. So let's get into your story. Tell me a bit about yourself, how you got so interested in neuroscience and, you know, just a bit about your background. Okay. Well, look, if we, I'm going to give you the short version because um, the long version requires probably about two months. Um, but look, I've got a, I've got a bit of an interesting past. I was a, um, I was an elite triathlete. I obviously with the accent, I'm from Sydney, Australia. So I raced for Australia, um, going to Beijing. And I think I've done now, I'm not a triathlete anymore, but I did around 65 triathlons in my time. Um, my story goes along the lines of two weeks prior to going to Beijing, I got hit by a car and it, I broke a lot of bones, broke my body in half and I kind of had to forfeit my, um, my title and going, you know, I wasn't able to go to Beijing, which was probably like the most devastating thing for me when you train your whole life and you train, um, you know, what it's like, you know, you train 40, 40 plus hours a week just for one moment. Then it just got stripped away from me. So I had to either move on to a different career or, um, you know, fight the doctors who said I wasn't going to walk again and try and, 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 you know, go and, and requalify for the Australian team. And back then I had done an undergraduate degree in sports science. I was very adamant that I needed to be working with athletes in some sense. So I love science. Um, so it was about that time where I had finished my degree. I was training full time. I was, you know, almost in a wheelchair. And then I was like, you know, my mom said to me, you need to give up on triathlon. My dad said to me, just give up on triathlon, go and work now. And I really didn't want to. So in order to get back onto the team, I had to requalify and I had six months to do it. And I flew to Colorado and met with Bobby McGee's, uh, sorry, I went with a a coach named Bobby McGee. He was actually the running coach um, for a lot of like Olympic athletes back then. He actually introduced me to like the neuroscience behind, you know, training. And that's what I started to do. So I started to train my own brain. I started to, um, really find out, you know, the difference between something imagined and something real. And 
I just went through a, a series of visualization practices. I started hacking up my own brain using EEG brain scans. And look, long behold, eight months later, I requalified for the Australian team. Um, once I did that, I completed a master's degree in mathematics and neuroscience. And here we are. Wow, that is <laughs> so insane. I'm like, I'm like, look, it, 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 you know, that story goes into, I, I mean, there's always a why behind why people do things and why organizations start. And I think when you look at any type of company, whether it's a product or a service that you're selling, I think um, any great companies work from the inside out, meaning they know their why. And that's, you know, that's my why I've, you know, I've been there. I have been an athlete. I've been through the trauma. I've been through rebuilding your brain, rebuilding your body, rebuilding your mindset, rebuilding your your life, and then going on and, and, and acting upon that. And so that's how I, um, that's how I always describe this process. You know, starting the company was nothing more than just, you know, sheer hard work from that. Mm. You must love Dr. Joe Dispenza's work because yeah. he's kind of had a similar story where he was in a really big accident and he completely, you know, cured himself. Do you, do you read a bunch of his work? Love Dr. Joe Dispenza. Love his models. Love um, that he he gets into a lot of the um, metaphysics and he, he talks a lot about spirituality. And I, I love that. It's not an aspect of the business that um, we're going to yet. However, we're both share the same ideas around rewiring your brain for um, optimum and human performance. So I love him. Amazing. So should we just get into the basics of this for people listening that don't know much about, you know, neuroscience and mental performance? Like so many people listening right now probably have never even heard of a mental performance coach. Like what are some of the top tips or the top principles or theories that you promote in your business to help people reach a peak mental state? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's okay. Let's just start with the basics. Okay. So when I say, you know, I I feel like I coined that term mental performance coach because there was a time around 2012, 2013, where this is the avenue I was delving into. And I was working with a lot of athletes at the time and it was more the youth, you know, I went from youth to amateur to pro. And back then, a lot of people, you know, were calling me a peak performance coach and, and I was like, no, I'm more of a mental coach. And then, so what that means entirely is, you know, you can be, it doesn't, you don't have to be an athlete. I think every single person in the world can use the methods that we teach. Um, mental performance coach just means somebody who's working on your brain and your mind. We believe that the mind lives inside of the brain. So working on your brain and your mind to help you achieve, um, you know, your level of peak performance, because, wouldn't you agree that every single person has a different level of peak performance? It's not like, you know, you and I can't just get that one-stop shop program and, you know, implement it together and achieve the same results, correct? Yeah, correct. So what we do is, you know, we've got to find out what each and every individual actually needs. So let's go through some basics. I mean, when you look at the general population, what what are we with the rise of social media and with you know what we're going through in 2019? What are some of the biggest challenges that we're facing? A lot of us are facing um, limiting beliefs, lack, you know, um, I would say anxiety, low confidence. What are some other things that you think that we're facing in society right now as a, as a mental as some mental challenges? One hundred percent anxiety. I can back that you know, from personal experience. Um, I think the need 
to show off is actually something that, you know, at least my generation has, which is very detrimental, the need to impress others, social anxiety and that kind of sort. But also, you know, I see I'm an overachiever, so I'm hard on myself. But I also don't think being hard on myself is the worst thing in the world because it gives me drive and ambition to achieve these goals that I have. But there is a certain extent, you know, like if I'm very hard on myself and I'm actually doing it in a really negative way, then it has like a really negative toll on my brain and my body. So I think finding that perfect balance is sweet spot there. But also, yeah, just generally speaking, I think anxiety, especially with all the technology around us, um, especially anxiety about our future as well. A lot of the girls here listening are in their early 20s or late teens and And I think we have such pressure to find out exactly what we want to do with our lives. And we have this pressure to look a certain way, be a certain way, make enough money, this, that. So yeah, I think anxiety as a whole is probably one of the biggest ones. And I think just on that with a lot of your listeners who are in their early 20s and they are thinking so much about, I don't know what I want to do. And maybe they're comparing themselves to unrealistic images and and lives on Instagram and Facebook and all the other different social platforms. The one thing I would say as a, you know, um, as someone who's been through that in my early 20s is if you have, I have this quote that I say, you know, in almost every keynote speech that I do, it's, you don't have the power to change your world until you truly know who you are. We all want to change you know, our lives, because if we didn't, then we'd be so content with where we are right now. Everybody wants to change their lives in, you know, whether it's getting better at certain things. So if we want to change our life going from where we are now to into a different career, we can't really do that until we know who we are. So what does that mean? It comes down to self-awareness. And that's the first stop towards doing anything. So any type of mental plan that we do and we put in place, we always want people to understand who they are first because without knowing who you are and what you want, no mental prep is going to help you, you know, achieve peak performance. Okay? So you've got to know the why behind who you are and what you want to do. So you, you know, what I would suggest in that aspect is, you know, get off social media first of all and figure out what what brings you to life? What sets your life on fire? What are you so passionate about? What are you excited about? What are you confident in? What are you good at? What are you not so good at? You know, double down on your strengths and really understand what it is that you want to do in this world because you have to love it because you're going to be doing this day in and day out. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. So how, okay, how about this? Let's go even deeper. How do people figure that out? Do they just take out a journal and write it all down? Because that's how I figured it out. I literally bought a journal and wrote until I figured out what I wanted to do with my life. Honestly, if I, if that was me 10 years ago, I would have said, get out a journal. But what I'm, what I believe now is you have to dabble in everything because that's what I did. I, you know, you got to dabble in everything to really get to the core and crust of who you are. comes down to your personality too. There are some people who just are born and then they like, no, I want to be a doctor. Nope. I just, I want to be a teacher. And they know. Whereas you got to, that's understanding who you are. What's your personality like? If you're like me, where you just, you know, I loved everything as a kid. I wanted to do every sport. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to experience everything. And if I didn't do it, I'd always be left wondering, what if I was good at that? You know, so it's, you got to understand your personality. And if you do like a whole range of things, just don't be scared. The number one reason why we don't actually go and pursue anything is because we're scared. We're fearful of the outcome. We're scared of failing. We're scared of putting it out there on social media and not you know, meeting other people's expectations um, and we take on other people's point of views. So 
I would say if you're in that, you know, if you're in that medium where you're trying to figure out what you want, I would, you know, maybe write a list down of every single thing that you love and just go and do volunteer work. Go and, you know, if you want to be a photographer, go and do free shoots for people. You know, like I've had, um, you know, we've got a, I've got a full-time photographer and videographer now, but um, we used to do, you know, we used to get a lot of people in who wanted the experience and just worked with them. So that would be the first stop. Mm, fear is the biggest killer ever. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So once we've got that sorted out, let's look at some of the things that we can be doing to have a more healthier mindset, to have a more, I think, empowered mental health state, because I think that's what, what it's all about, right? So one thing that I find that is really important and one thing that every single person at NeuroAthletics does is we set them a morning routine. Oh my God. I love you. I just love you because we talk about that on my podcast all the time. I'm such a morning routine person. I have a whole course on my morning routine. Morning routines are the new meditation. I swear to God, it's like the new thing everyone needs to be doing. Tell me about yours. I want to hear all about it. Absolutely. Well, mine's a bit rigorous. I'll, um, I mean, it changes because it changes from weekends. It changes based on my environment. You know, I travel a lot, which is finally starting to catch up to me. I'm bi-coastal, so I spend, um, you know, one week in LA, three weeks in New York. Um, however, the premise of it is this, and I'll, I'll talk to you about the neuroscience behind it. When we first wake up, within the first 20 minutes of opening your eyes and your brain really activating and telling your body that you're awake, you're your brain waves are operating at 10.5 wave cycles per second as opposed to, you know, 12 to 16. So what does that mean? It means that for the first 20 minutes of every morning, we are very susceptible to whatever we take in. Now, if we're waking up and the very first thing that we do is check our phones, what's going to happen is we're going to see something that we don't like. It's inevitable. You can't, you know, you can't say that every single time you go on Instagram, you know, you're sending happy signals to your brain. Okay. So, the very first thing that someone does when they first wake up is they they check their phone and then immediately they see one little thing. It can be really minor, one little thing you don't like. It sends a surge of cortisol through your body before you've even gotten up in the morning, which tells your body we are in danger, we are in threat, today's going to be a bad day, and you're basically losing a lot of your energy stores. You're increasing um, your cortisol and your stress hormones before you even leave the house. Okay, so... Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I would suggest is get rid of your phone first thing in the morning. Do not touch your phone for the first 20 minutes. I do that. Okay. Let's get specific. 20 minutes or longer? Like what's like the perfect amount of time to not be checking your phone? I keep mine on airplane mode for an hour until I'm done my routine. Is that That's like, perfect. is there a number? No, there's no number. That is perfect. Just as a minimum, the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. okay, amazing. Yeah, and then what I like to do, I'm a, I'm very big on meditation. So I I love Vedic meditation or transcendental. I do that every morning for 20 minutes. And I really love the aspect of being still and being focused first thing in the morning. And you know, the premise around that is when you wake up, you want to wash your face, you want to sit down in a seated position with nothing obstructing your neck and you just want to sit there and try and get into the no thought zone. You want to sit there and just try. And if you can't do that, if you keep, you know, if your mind keeps, you know, wandering elsewhere, just try and bring yourself back. Try and focus on something minor like the air conditioner sound or the fan sound or, you know, 
the faucet if it's dripping. Just try and focus on one single thought or one single thing if you if you can't really eliminate everything. And if you do that mm-hmm. for 20 minutes, I mean, you, if you don't have to go to 20 minutes, you can start on 12 minutes if you really want. But if you do, it'll make all the difference. And it'll actually start to prepare you for bigger and deeper mental work in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you do just complete silence? Can you listen to like a meditation music or a guided meditation? Yeah, look, that's a good question because I'm, um, I don't do any of that, but I'm an experienced, um, meditator. I've been doing it now for over five years. I've, I've been to meditation camps. I've been to silent retreats, which we won't get into, but was the hardest thing in my life. Um, <clears throat> so I don't, I don't do that. I don't prescribe that to any of our clients. Um, however, uh, you know, there are some people who like that. So feel free to, you know, put on some music if it's going to help you focus. Mm. Okay. So what do you do when your brain just isn't feeling 100% and it's like fuzzy in the morning? Yeah. Cause sometimes I'll wake up and I'll just be like mentally drained for no reason. What would you do in that case? So, okay. So that really comes down to, we call that brain frog. Okay. It can come down to a number of things, come down to the way you sleep, lack of sleep, um, what you've put in your body and, um, you know, sugar, how much stress you've had. And that actually comes down to your nighttime routine. How well are you falling asleep? Okay. Because your morning routine actually starts at night. You can't really go and have a, a great kick-ass, unstoppable, powerful morning if you're feeling groggy first thing in the morning. So I would actually suggest tracking back and actually having a look at what you were doing an hour before you went to bed. You know? Yeah. So totally agree. So I don't do the phone for an hour before bed too, if, yeah. it, if it's a good night. <laughs> that, no, that's fantastic. No looking at computer screens because what's that, that's actually the light on your computer screen is actually telling your brain that you're awake. So you're going to have a, you know, it's all about getting into the deep sleep zone. So you're not going to be able to activate that if you're looking at, you know, um, a computer screen. So mm. that's, um, so brain fucking come from, you know, even, you know, how much sugar you're having, how much water you had. So that's a whole different ballpark of a, of a question, but yeah. Okay. So on your podcast, you talk about diet a lot and I love Mm. everything that you preach. I totally believe in the same stuff as, as you do with all of that. Do you want to maybe tell the listeners a bit about your optimal diet for brain health, brain function, and mental performance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I definitely think that I I'm not going to say the word diet, okay? It's just more of a lifestyle. I think if you're including a lot of good fats and eliminating sugar, um, then you're going to be on, you know, you're going to start to be on the road for a great performing brain. Now, the reason I say that is because there's something called brain inflammation. So you would know what inflammation is because, you know, we go to the gym, we work out and we get inflammation in our body, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same as your brain. We can actually produce brain inflammation and it comes from foods, especially foods that are very acidic. So we're looking at sugar, we're looking at coffee, the things that are really not good for our brain. Okay, these are things that cause brain fog. So when we're looking at any type of nutritional need for any of our athletes, we always prescribe, you know, a more of a keto side diet. Not to say that carbs are bad, but sticking to more of the good fats. You know, one that we're looking at their supplementation, we look at a lot of the 
um, omegas. We look at a lot of the fish oils that they're taking, um, you know, L-tyrosine and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what carbs would you suggest eating if someone didn't want to go full keto? What are some of the good carbs? Oh, look, I mean, you've got sweet potato, things like that, you know, the good carbs that we all speak about as mainstream. Um, however, something that I've been delving into right now is more of a gut brain um, health kind of thing, whereas every single person has a different gut and everyone's got different gut microbiome. So we're actually going deeper with our clients and finding out via blood work what their, um, what their gut microbiome is so we can actually prescribe them the best nutritional, um, the, the best nutrition for them. That's so cool. And you're right. Like there is so much biodiversity in the world. I've done the full keto thing last year. I was doing that. And then now I'm kind of in more of like a, a balanced macro state where I'm having a little bit of healthy carbs, mostly still doing like a low carb, you know, moderate, fat protein type way of eating. And it's worked really well for me, but I do feel completely like I'm thriving when I do Mm. the lower carb thing for sure. What about your diet? What, like, what do you eat in a day? Talk me through a whole day of, of Louisa eating. (laughs) That's sometimes a scary thing. Um, but (laughs) I do start my day eating eggs. So I train every morning. Um, I've just, you know, I'm always like that. I'll never train in the afternoon, but it's an always a morning thing. And then I always have two boiled eggs. I don't know. It must be just a habit. There's no, um, I wouldn't say that there's science behind it. I just like to fill my day and sometimes an avocado. I always like to have my, a lot of fat in the mornings. Sometimes I'll do a bulletproof coffee and I do like to eat regularly. I've tried the whole fasting. I've done the whole intermittent fasting. Does it work great? It does. However, depending on specific needs, I know for myself with, you know, what I have to deal with every single day, I like to eat, you know, every two to three hours. And it's not specific. You know, I eat a lot of fish, I eat a lot of red meat, um, I eat a lot of chicken, and I just like to mix it up. I try and stay away from carbs. And I try and stay completely away from gluten and, um, you know, a lot of grains, I don't eat oats or anything. So... Hmm. Yeah, me too. Oh, it's crazy because for so long I've been cutting out all of those grains and carbs and glutinous foods. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, a few weeks ago, I, I had some of my boyfriend's pizza. Like I was like, oh, whatever. I'm so good all the time. Like balance, whatever. I literally had like three or four bites. And for the next 40 hours, my stomach was in so much pain, bloated, cramping, jabbing pains. I felt brain fog, emotional roller coaster. It was like the craziest thing. I was like, how is it that four bites of gluten can do this to me? It's insane. Like I I never used to feel that way before I totally cut it out, but I guess I'm just so sensitive to it now because I never eat it. Mm, Absolutely. And what happens is your body and your brain get used to something and then it's just like putting a spanner in the works when you have something that you haven't had in so long. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, so we've covered mental hacks like morning routine, meditation, all that jazz. We've covered diet, which is obviously very important. Now let's talk about exercise. You know, mm. how much exercise is too much exercise and what kind of training should we be doing for our mental performance? 
So good question. I actually had um, a friend of mine, a doctor on board. She's fr- she's the head of neuropsychology at NYU, and she is studying the effects of exercise on the brain. And she said that it's very, very brain healthy to do 20 minutes, no more, no less, of cardiovascular exercise on a daily basis. Okay. So you don't have to go to have it. And I'm talking for, I'm not talking about weight loss. I'm not talking about bulking. I'm talking purely for mental health and um, good brain health. You don't need to do too much. You just need to do enough for your brain to create enough um, BDNF and just to get, you know, regenerating and recycling. So honestly, if you can get your heart rate up by doing some hit work in the morning, maybe, um, you know, raising it for at least seven or eight minutes to, you know, 80%, then 80% of your max HR, then you're doing well. Okay. What we don't want to look at, we don't, you know, we don't, I'm not going to ever say go out and do two hours a day of exercise. It's not about that. Just to have a great functioning brain and to get enough oxygen there. It's 20 minutes of moderate to intense exercise per day. Okay. Sounds amazing. (laughs) I have one more question for you before we're done. You've interviewed so many epic people on your podcast. Is yeah. there one conversation that you've had with a guest that really struck out to you and had a big impact on your life? Oh, I like that question. I mean, I, I, I speak to amazing people from all over the world. I think, I mean, I think one of the doctors that I had, um, David Lieberman, he's, um, he came on and spoke about how the brain, you know, like like what the like the neuroscience behind why we're happy and why we're sad and that the thing is, you know, I've had amazing guests all over, okay? But the reason why I um I'm picking him out specifically is because we all want to know what makes us unhappy. We all want to know what makes us, you know, sad or happy and he actually talked about the neuroscience behind happiness and he actually told me that the way to be happy from a neurological perspective. And that is uh, the number one key take home that I said was, he says, you can't just wake up and be happy. You have to generate happiness, meaning you have to do things every single day to actually become happy. So if there's anybody out there who feels like, oh, you know, I'm a bit miserable and this and that, it's you have to do the work every single day to be happy. Wow. I love that so much. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know this is a short podcast. We both have very busy days today, but I would love to have you back on again. And where can all of the listeners find you? Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Guys can go onto my personal Instagram page, which is the diamond boss with an underscore at the end. Um, you can go and listen to um, the neuro experience podcast, or you can go to our website, www.neuroathletics.com.au. Amazing. Thank you so much, Louisa. Thank you.